are back, ladies and gents, kings and queens, with episode 34 of the Dream Shakers podcast. I am your host, George Nunez, alongside with my co-host, Stefan Odom. And today we are here with a special guest. And that special guest is Khalil R. Balat, a growth equity investor at TCB. Khalil graduated from Penn State University with a Bachelor's of Science in Finance. He was a vice president of the Nittany Lion Fund, a student-ran hedge fund where he managed more than $8 million in assets, AUM, assets under management. He is a Harvard SVMP alum, such as myself and Steph, and he was previously a tech investment banking analyst at BAMU, also known as Bank of America. Welcome to the Dream Shakers podcast, Khalil. Appreciate you, man. Of course, brother. How are you feeling today? Dude, I'm, I'm feeling good, man. Um, to be 100% honest, I just came out from, from balling, man. I have to take at least 15 minutes to get some shots up before I do anything. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. Listen, man, you know, fourth quarter, they need you to score. They need you to bring it home, just like Giannis in the finals, man. That's right, man. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, now, we know that you have an illustrious career this far, uh, very decorated, reached, you know, a lot of success. But we also know that there were some beginnings that people don't know about. So what was it like growing up in the D.C. area? People want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 100%. I mean, uh... I grew up in the suburbs, Bowie, Maryland, right? Like, you know, um, so it was different for me, but I think I think it was still humbling. I went I went to a lot of schools, um, just to give you context, like they would have these tag talented and gifted programs um, that, you know, moms or dads would kind of push you into. Luckily I was in that, but what they, they do is they take the worst performing school and they put it there to helpfully, you know, help that. So I would take a bus just, you know, straight into a rougher part of, you know, the area. And that's where I went to school. So it was a hard division between, you know, talented and gifted other students. But, you know, people intermeshed. So I, I saw a lot of different stuff, uh, which was good, I think. Um, just to see, you know, not just be like, you know, secluded to the suburbs. But anyway, um, you know, in that program, I got a lot of experience just being with a ton of different people uh, from a ton of different backgrounds. I mean, you may know the D.C. area is super diverse. Um, and so you they, know, they, 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 they call it they call it chocolate city from what I hear. Exactly. I mean, you got the white chocolate, the caramel chocolate, <laughs> all the different types, man. Uh, so, I, you know, I hung out with a ton of different people. Um, but I think. That just gave me broad exposure to a little bit of everything. I grew up loving sports, uh, loving math, loving new new things of any type, space, you know, and, and being in that environment, I got a little taste of, of everything. But I also think, you know, the grit, right? Like, you can't just walk down the hallway and like, I don't know, you, you got to have your guard up. You got you to gotta be ready for somebody to try to join on you, which I think is good <laughs> in business. So, you know, we learned a lot of good stuff, but you also learned a lot of the soft skills of dealing with different people. And I learned that, I think, pretty early, uh, starting with elementary school, really, maybe, maybe earlier. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. Coming from this, 
this humble beginning, right? And moving through these varied environments, uh, you ultimately found yourself at Penn State, right? And when you were at Penn State, uh, much like George was mentioning earlier, you were the vice president of the Nittany Leon Fund, right? The Nittany Lion Fund. And there was a considerable amount of, of assets that you oversaw, right? Like that you had to be responsible for. And you credit that as your first taste of investing, right? Like this was a, a integral moment for you. So, so how was that experience? And then what led up to this passion for finance? Yeah, so um, the experience in and of itself was a great one. I don't think there's, there's a lot of student funds in the in the nation that are you know use endowment money but um our fund is actually the only one that has actual just investors uh, a lot of them are alumni of penn state um and so that just kind of turns it up a dial a notch like at times i would uh i would have calls from direct investors like you know what what the hell are you doing <laughs> just you know like and and you have to you have to have a, a good response and um, you don't really get that right in, in classes. Um, and so, yes, in and of itself, it was an amazing experience. Now, now what led up to that? Um, I mean, you know, there's, you may know, there's a ton of students at Penn State, I mean, in general, and at University Park, I mean, you're talking 30, 40,000. And um, then you kind of narrow that down to the College of Smeal, still a ton of students and a ton of people in finance. Um, the Nittany Lion Fund would take probably 10 or 12 kids a year. And so, you know, it was a very strenuous process to get into the, um, the fund is what we call it for short. And, um, you know, we had on the first, when as vice president, we, had, we would have about 400, 500 students show up interested in the fund the first day um, and slowly narrow that down into more like eight or 10 students. Um, and so, Personally, when I came to Penn State, I had no finance background. I knew nothing about stocks, really. Um, and look, I'll tell you guys, don't tell my family, but I used to <laughs> go to the library and, uh, you know, I would, I, would, I would sneak out with a, a couple uh, books for dummies <laughs> about stocks and I would read. That's how I learned, man. I mean, just being 100%, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like having to take it back. And so I just held on to it. I'm like, they can't be that mad. I'm learning about finance. I'm in school, right? Uh, and so that's really where it started. Um, but the interest, the interest in business really began um, my summer before I decided to go to Penn State, which I did a, a program at Penn State. It's called BOSS. And essentially, they introduced students of different backgrounds to business. Um, I had no family in business, um, that kind of thing. I was into engineering. Everybody was pushing me towards that, which I thought was pretty cool. But it probably wasn't my passion. Um, but for a long time, that's what I was going to pursue. And until that program, that's when everything changed. So I was able to, um, you know, come up with an idea. We pitched it together to the, this, fake, this fake board of investors. And I just got a little taste of what that felt like, what that looked like. And, you know, I just, I just felt at home, really. Um, and I knew that I wanted to pursue business and kind of recreate that experience in, in a more tangible, in a real life fashion. Um, and last point on that is what really what it really boils down to is like the, 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 the power of business and what I'm so drawn to it by is, you know, there's there's a ton of technology in the world that's amazing. Um, and as an engineer or from an engineering background, you see that 
Um, but a lot of that stuff never sees the light of day because it's kind of in the R&D stages or it's, it's, it's really raw and it can't, you know, Stefan, you talk about the human and, and computer interaction. I mean, that's, that's, um, that's basically what businesses, I think, uh, provide the gap between. Like they take ideas and great technology and bring it to market so that more people can experience it and add value to their lives. And that's why I think I got into business because I love technology. I love talking to people. Um, I love creating new things. And I think business, especially in tech, you get to do all of that. So that's that's my little spiel. Perfect. So you, you talked about your experience when you were managing the, the assets in the fund and you talked about your affinity for tech, but you got into banking, yeah. investment banking. You, 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 you chose coverage, or maybe it chose you, coverage over product. You, you were um, in the TMT group. What was that experience as a tech banker and, um, how did you kind of navigate through it all, right? From, you know, working through the models, working through the pitch books, pitch decks, working those late nights, dealing with the corporate politics. What was the culture like at BAMU? I mean, speak to it. I, I did banking as well, so I'm yeah. pretty familiar. Uh, yeah. but, 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 but walk us in the audience through that experience. Got you. So, I mean, you're probably asking, you know, you want to do all this innovative stuff, why are you in banking, right? Like, <laughs> you know, and that's a very fair question, man. Um, I couldn't answer that, but, <laughs> you know, it's where, where my life led me, uh, going into Nittany Lion Fund, kind of lined that, that opportunity up in investment banking. And just important distinction, I actually did M&A for two summers. Those were, that was my internship experience in M&A. Um, wasn't the right fit because I just really need, I had a hunger for, for more, being more involved in tech and with tech companies. And so that's why I made a pivot right before full time, which was a very crazy process. Just and, to and, 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 and real quick, Khalil, could you talk about like M&A and, and, and what yeah. that really is? Just so the audience has some context. Okay. Yeah. Mergers and acquisitions. So, um, you know, you're doing the, 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 think about it like the last mile. So you'll have like a coverage group, I think, George, you were in uh, healthcare. So something comes up in healthcare, big $40 billion deal, maybe a smaller one. And then um, M&A might get involved to, to actually do the down and dirty M&A, you know, which is just like a ton of modeling, ton of assumptions about things that are going to happen and scenarios. So you, you get a ton of modeling experience, um, which is actually, it, was, it serves me really well because it's not something that I struggle with. And I think it's important in finance, but um, so that was the M&A experience. Um, did that for two summers. It was, um, it was very hard. I mean, in general, I think product groups are known to be a little bit harder. Um, <laughs> and I tried to go for the hardest one really, uh, just to get as much experience as I, as I could. And I think I got a good taste of that after two summers and decided, yeah, um, I think I'll go into coverage, you know? <laughs> and uh, that experience was crazy because I think I had a scenario which doesn't really happen often, which is I did not get a return to the M&A group uh, at Bank of America. I had a return to every group except M&A, which uh, I don't know how that happened, <laughs> but it happened. 
And uh, then I had, they said, hey, look, man, you just, just figure it out, find a, find a spot that works. And, you know, I'm like, well, I only want to go into TMT. So, <laughs> and it took a lot. So basically they told me one day, look, you know, TMT's closed, no more spots open. You might want to start thinking about, you know, CNR or another opportunity. And then, you know, the next day was, hey man, um, we got a slot open in Palo Alto. You want, you want it? And so that's how it turned out. But it was, it was a lot of ups and downs, a lot of meeting people, calling people, uh, but it all worked out. So um, the TMT group, I think, was a, a good choice going out to Palo Alto, California. Um, obviously, the, the weather's great. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of benefits there. And you get more exposure to, like, uh, strategic stuff about the company, a lot of pitch decks. But you get to understand and focus more on, like, what the company does. Um, and that was important to me, uh, just as from an experience you know, perspective, I wanted to, to be able to learn those things and for that to be a part of the job. So uh, I think it was really good uh, for just building my character and uh, my experience. You fight for this placement, right? You, you go to bat for yourself to be made a part of this group, right? You end up on the West Coast. You love the weather. You love the strategic aspects. You love the ability to their proximity, right? How close you are to these companies. Yeah. And you have the underlying passion on top of all that of just uh, deep interest in technology, right? So why then did you decide to come back to the East Coast, right? Given that everything seemingly was going real well. Yeah, man, um, there's a, an important um, piece of information that I think will, will clarify all that. So, <laughs> I'm actually, I actually have a daughter. The same day that I graduated college, I had my daughter on a lease. So investment banking. Uh, hey, con con congrats, on the, congrats on the blessing, by the way, brother. And I know, I know it's late, but happy Father's Day. Appreciate you, man. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I moved out to California with my, my daughter on one hand, <laughs> fiance, and just a, a job that I really didn't know what to expect from. Um, and so it was it was a crazy two years, man, especially during COVID. I mean, just imagine that <laughs> you got a six month old, you got clients calling and you're in a one bedroom <laughs> apartment. So and I didn't have family out there. So, you know, you start thinking about uh, proximity to family and people that can support you. And luckily, um, when I got my TCV offer, we can talk about that, but, you know, they had an office in, in Menlo and in New York. And so I really wanted to be back on the East Coast for, for those reasons, just proximity to family and uh, for both me and uh, my partner. That, that makes sense, right? And, and we, we appreciate that clarity, um, but let's transition it a bit in terms of growth equity now, right? Because now, this is a new chapter in your life. You leave Bamboo, you go into growth equity. So the real question is, why growth equity over VC, venture capital, PE, private equity, or even working at a startup, or maybe even creating your own startup? Like, walk us through that. Like, why choose um, GE over everything else? We we spoke a bit about this offline, but. Yeah. Um, let, let, let's give some more context for the viewers. 
So private equity, you know, um, just a different appetite for deals, right? Um, in general, big generalization, I mean, they're looking for a lot later stage companies that they can come into and invest. Um, some of them kind of want to cut costs, um, you know, um, just reorient the business, restructure the business, sell it later. Um, that's the general model. Um, for me, I wanted to kind of be more a part of that growth strategy for companies. And so that kind of weeded, weeded out uh, PE for me. Um, and so then, then you go into like startup VC um, growth equity, right? So in college, I, I mean, I had the opportunity before I even started at BAMO to just focus on a startup. Uh, we were building that out of Penn State and it was doing very well. Um, they're still doing well. Um, laundry startup. And I had a great experience there, but you know, with the family, I had to have a more secure option. So for me, starting a startup just wasn't, it wasn't the right time for me uh, to really go 100% in. And then VC versus growth equity. Um, I think I was, I was honestly up for, for either one, but I also think that growth equity, um, you just get, you get exposure to, you know, some pretty significant stuff. I mean, on a daily basis, you're looking at some big companies, you're able to, to put in a lot of capital. And the good thing about uh, the firm I'm at is, you know, you get to see everything, nothing's off the table. I mean, truly, except for maybe, you know, series A, <laughs> that's about it. And even that's starting to, to break down. So we look at every interesting category leader in tech. And that's, that's all I do. So that's perfect for me. <laughs> so once I found that, I mean, I personally just didn't, didn't really care about the other stuff, uh, at least for now, because I would get experience, you know, talking to CEOs of these companies and, and being a part of the, the, the growth that they, they have. And one last thing is I think the company TCB, um, the, the companies that they invest in, they're not just VC investors. They give you money and they say, go ahead. A lot of times, like there's, there might be, Hey, check up with me every few months, but the companies don't have to, nor do they really want to, because they're very much in the early stages. They might have a lot of other things going on, but when we come in, at least on a good 25 or 30 or 40% of our names, um, we have a significant like interest in our companies and we work right alongside them in, in finding management and uh, deciding what markets to attack to acquire doing the actual M&A. So I'm, you know, I've been helping with all of those things um, in the portfolio. So I think you just get a ton of diverse experience from sourcing to, to M&A, to investing, um, just the, the entire, the entire thing. So growth equity is a sweet spot for me. Okay. So uh, given the variety of growth stages you're able to interact with at TCV, one question that I had for you was, what's it been like working with the, the executive teams at these companies, right? Has there been instances where, you know, there's a bit of friction because you're seen as an outside third party and they're not necessarily sure um, if you're operating with their best interests in mind? Yeah, um, totally understand that question. And I think that's a good question for a PE firm. But for growth equity, I mean, we're, we're going, we're going to the altar. We're getting married, man. I mean, this is, and again, it's 40%. Some, some deals we do are like, Hey, 
you know, there's a lot of interest from everybody. You got the top guys in there and, and they might not even want to talk to us after, but, you know, there's a lot of other companies that we do have a very, you know, very involved relationship with. And I mean, we, we want to have a partnership and that's what we go in with and it's very known. And we really strive to understand the companies like extremely well, like, I mean, again, you can really compare it to a marriage because it's, it's, it's communicating about, hey, what do you think? What do you see? And they're open to that because that's just the relationship we built where, you know, it's like, hey, I know you understand my company because you've done a lot of stuff for that. And we, we trade ideas and it's very open and free flowing. And I don't think we would get into, I think, I mean, you know, I only have my limited experience to speak from, but like, I don't think we would do something like that unless... Um, unless there was an open relationship with like sharing ideas and, and making that a, a correspondence. Um, but, you know, I haven't ran into to any issues with that because I think we do a good job of um, understanding a company's interests well, what they do, how they operate, the industry they're in. One quick thing about TCB, unlike a lot of VCs and some uh, other funds, is that, I mean, we were verticalized in our structure. So, again, I cover FinTech, healthcare, EdTech. And that's all we do. And so we have our specific team on that. And so when we go into a healthcare or whatever deal, we we do our a lot of due diligence in understanding that because that's our industry. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we haven't, I don't think we've run into that with portfolio companies in my experience. I think they're actually very open and, and, and want our help in, in different aspects to find talent. And that's that's how we kind of sell up, you know, sell our brand, you know, like <laughs> partner with TCV because, you know, we not only give you money, you can go, you can go get some money from a lot of different firms when you're growing like a lot of these companies are, but can you, can you get exposure to the relationships we have? Can you get, you know, all of those other soft things that we bring to the table, understanding your business really, really well, and maybe even better than a lot of your current board of directors, right? Like that's what we are bringing to the table. So um, yeah, I haven't had that. And, and just for the audience to say, well, what is TCB's investment strategy? It's very simple, man. Um, invest in category defining companies. Um, and that's really it. I mean, there are, you know, there's a threshold of, you know, like, companies we might that are too early for us. I mean, we are in the growth equity stage. We have a mandate to follow in, in some sense, but like anything goes these days because there's a lot of companies that um, are raising ridiculous rounds at series A and B. And, you know, we're doing things to, to, to be able to address and, and be a part of those, those uh, rounds earlier and build relationships earlier. So we're just looking for, you know, Again, we're investors in Netflix, Spotify, Facebook, um, Peloton, you know, LegalZoom, a lot of companies early on. Um, we're looking for those types of companies and in software as well, B2B and B2C. Good point, good point. I, I know you you talk uh, a little bit about fitted laundry, um, but could you dive a bit deeper into uh what was the thought process around making those investments in fitted laundry and TXT cart? Um, and in your opinion, uh, do you think investing is an art, a science, or a mixture of both? Yeah. 
So I'll go, I'll start with Fitted. That was my first, um, you know, investment in any, any like, you know, startup really. Um, so the founder is super interesting, uh, super determined, super um, great guy to work with in general. I always enjoyed his energy. Um, and he had an idea basically to, you know, provide laundry services for, for college kids. Um, you know, a lot of people in school don't have, there's a lot of dirty machines. People don't want to do it. And college kids in general, just have, they struggle. It's your first time out of the house. Your mama ain't doing your laundry no more. <laughs> you might want to pay $10 and get it done and fold it, right? Because honestly, that stuff is hard, even for me today. So <laughs> I've been trying to get him to give me that service out here. But um, anyway, I, I basically was like, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, then he had this epiphany, like, hey, you know, we're actually, we're actually doing something that's pretty intimate, like the clothes you put on every day, like those things matter, right? And they also tell the world about who you are. And it's like, you know, that's pretty cool. And then they're like, you know, what does that, how can we actually bring that into the business idea? So essentially, they they take photos of the laundry upon like people allowing that. And they take photos of it and they basically upload it to a digital wardrobe um, for individuals that do it. And basically they can, they use computer vision to basically pick out all of the different um, aspects of the clothes, brands that'll pick up um, colors, designs, um, things like that. And they're building a database of basically clothing uh, that people are wearing uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And so it's a basically, uh, it's really interesting in that regard um, and so they're gaining traction and they're expanding. So I invested in them. I was actually doing the laundry for a while at Penn State. The frat got like a whole frat house. That, that was me. So and uh, so my Sundays were were pretty, uh, pretty boring. I was in some random laundromat doing and folding clothes until we partnered with a lot of different laundromats across Philadelphia and across you know the nation now. Um, and so I learned a lot about what it takes to, to, to build something like that. And um, we had a pretty solid team, I think, going out and, and trying to accomplish it at that age. And then second is TextCart, um, really interesting uh, business. They've grown a ton in those two years. Started as like, hey, uh, Spotify, I mean, Shopify, um, Shopify stores, they don't have, a, they have a ton of, uh, abandoned carts and that's one of the biggest things so like 60 percent of, of of checkout gets stopped at, at, a, at abandonment in a cart and so a lot of different companies are going at, out and attacking like how do we extract that out so TextCart essentially built um, an add-in on Shopify that they can add into their store and so when they do have an abandoned cart they basically work to convert it so they use uh, different marketing marketing uh, ways to, to basically convert that customer. And so they, as soon as they turn on, they, they add value to, to a customer by converting a ton of different uh, abandoned carts. So that's that's dumb and they've done really well. They probably can't say too much about it, but um, yeah, they're doing some cool stuff. And then I missed something. Yeah, investing is more of an art and a science for sure. Um, you, gotta, you gotta figure out like, is, where are the founder's weak points? Everybody has weaknesses. I have weaknesses. Every founder is going to have weaknesses. And so just like being really aware of what those are and if they affect the business, because ultimately at an early stage, founders are all you got. Dude. I mean, <laughs> if something happens to them, you don't have a business. And so you really, you really got to have that um, belief in them to go out and, and do it. And a lot of times 
you know, I think I think I have a decent sense for like, you know, this founder is, is serious. This founder knows the industry. Sometimes I feel like I'm more confident than them, but I think that's because I can see from the outside and, and see, yeah, like that's, that's gonna, he's gonna do something. And I think that's the biggest thing. Are they going to do something? Are they gonna build something? Um, and that's it. If you build something, then you can do something with that. Like you can sell it, you can, you can build it out further, expand the team. You know, as long as it doesn't dry up and die, like you're in, you're in the green, <laughs> which is the biggest thing in, in with startup investing. As long as it's alive, you're good. That's it. <laughs> so, yeah. You also saw that you were a part of boards, right? That you were a part of the boards for these companies as well. How does the board role differ from just a, a standard advisor to someone that's a founder? Right? Like, what is the the separation and responsibility there? And how involved with the startup are you as a board member? And what's the frequency of, of board meetings on a yearly basis? Yeah, you know, my role is a little bit more informal. I just get calls every once in a while when, when things happen, um, you know, when my expertise is, you know, needed in some regard. And so, you know, just looking at different opportunities in the market, like I'll get a call, <laughs> um, a new deal, there's a call. <laughs> it's very much just like, like that. And, uh, you know, I like to catch up with them, see how they're doing, maybe part of, give them some parting, you know, motivation advice, uh, if I can offer it, but, um, you know, it, it ebbs and flows. Um, you know, I'm busy with work, but I definitely, uh, try to keep in touch with, with what they're doing and offer any value I can to them. Um, so that, that's kind of what it looks like. It's not it's not a very like stringent, hey, we have a board meeting every month and you're responsible for this and this. It's very much like, oh, hey, we're doing this. Any any chance you can help? You know, and then I step in and, and try to help. Yeah. What are some of the, well, backtrack, because this is going to be a two-part question here. Um, and and silly, silly us, because we should have asked this from the very beginning. Um, what what is growth equity for for people that don't know uh, but are are interested in understanding more like like what does that uh, entail? What does it mean to you? Um, and what do you think are some concrete steps that Black and Latino professionals can take to break into this space? Uh, like like what does that typical path look like? Yeah. So just to give the landscape, you know, we talked about it earlier a little bit, but. Um, you have the angel investors, then you have the VCs, right in between is growth equity, PE. Honing in on growth equity, like these are companies that are probably doing at least 10 or 20 million, probably 20 million in revenue at minimum. So they're growing, uh, they're growing pretty fast. And the whole thing about, it's, it's in the name, growth equity. So we invest in growth. These are companies that are like, hey, we're doing really well, give us some money and we can do even better. And that's what we invest in. Um, and so that's what growth equity is really. And so as far as how, how to get into growth equity, um, I think, you know, a lot of people take, there's really two different paths there. Um, one is, one is, well, there's a lot of paths to anything, but what I would say most people come through is um, consulting or investment banking. It's what I've seen. So. They like to, a lot of different growth equity funds and even PEs like to have both uh, consultants 
and uh, people from investment banks. Um, so I'll just explain for people the, the process of going from an investment bank or consulting into a growth equity or a PE firm. So what happens is you actually will have um, headhunters hit you up as soon as you get into, you know, um, you might have experienced um, getting on a job at, at, at one of these big, uh, you know, investment banks. And they will basically want to meet with you, get a feel for you. And I, I treat it like a first round interview. They are essentially, they're the gatekeepers. If you're a little weird, if you got, you know, <laughs> you don't really know what you're doing. You want to have a clear, clear vision about like, you know what, man, I went in there. I'm like, I didn't really know what I wanted, but I would, they would never know because I went in there and it might've changed every interview. But when I went in there, I knew what I wanted. <laughs> I want PE, bro. I want, I want growth equity and it changed every day. But even though, I mean, that actually ended up getting me a lot of different stuff in my inbox. So they sent me, they were they're like, this guy wants PE. We got to get him in front of this firm. So they would send that to me. This guy wants growth and they would send that to you. And so basically they're feeling people out and seeing, hey, where's this guy fit with the firms we cover? Each headhunter covers different growth equity, VC, PE shops. And so you kind of, you know, you got you to gotta navigate. I was able to get my hands on, you know, through connections, that list of who covers who. And so I was able to kind of reach out to um, specifically the, the people that covered the firms I was interested in and get in, in touch with them, have some, have some meetings with them. And uh, it worked out well. They were able to put me in front of the firms that were interesting for the most part. Um, and then once you get there, I mean, that's when it's that's when you step into the ring, man. I mean, and I, I can tell you, I mean, my interviews, I felt like like I don't even know a good comparison, but if somebody were to go into a fight and get beat up, that that's what I felt like <laughs> on prime TV. And uh, they took everything out of me, man. Uh, every last drop of information I knew, I put it out there. And um, I think I did all right, <laughs> you know, with the, with the interviews. Um, but uh, yeah, it takes a lot of preparation, man. You had you had to do phenomenally. You you there, man. You you made it to the other side, bro. You did your thing. <laughs> yeah, by by a hair, man. It, you know, if they had asked me one more question, I might have just broken down. So, <laughs> you know, I had just enough. I felt like to just really show what I had, and so they were impressed by it. But um, yeah, it was it was really good. I, and and I will say the hardest thing for me was the studying. Because uh, yeah, you're in you're in investment banking, right? And you got to make a decision. You got to make a decision saying, look, am I gonna be in investment banking forever, or am I gonna find my way out? Because you can work forever 18 hours a day. You don't have much more time than that. So you know, I was like, I'm gonna take four and and I'm gonna four those hours and I'm gonna get get this next role. And a lot of people wanted to be so great at investment banking and good at their current role that they said, I can't do that. And because of that, they weren't prepared when the interviews came and they're still there and they don't want to be. <laughs> so you, you got to make that decision for yourself. And uh, I think that's, a, that's probably the most important thing because you got to, you know, knowing what you want and seeing that path uh, to get there, I think is, is critical. And then taking the steps to actually do it. That, that was the biggest barrier that I saw um, in, in, the, in the place. And that's probably what set me apart because I made that decision early. I wanted to ask this really quick before uh, Steph chimes in. I mean, that's the, the, the final doozy 
Um, <laughs> because this this is uh, very important here. Tell us about what is it like being a father, right? Like, you know, raising your, and what it means to, to raise a daughter in America. Like, that explain to us what you have to do. How is that experience? Because I, I think that's important here. Yeah. So, George, you, you've probably been in, uh, you've probably seen what an investment banker looks like. If you were to draw them on paper, you would probably be stiff, right? Like, <laughs> you'd probably be like, you know, like a soldier going to war. I mean, now, now put a baby in that dude's hand and then, and then think about what that looks like. Like, dude, I had to change everything, man. You know, it, it, I think becoming a father changed, changed everything for me. Um, and what that looked like for me was, you know, it, it softened me up, right? It, it really made me aware of, you know, a lot of <laughs> other components outside of just working hard and, and getting stuff done, but like being patient, um, being aware, right? It takes a lot of awareness uh, uh, awareness when you have to figure out what's going on with a, with somebody who cannot speak and is just scream, screaming at you. Like, you got to figure that out. You got to read the room essentially, but you know, I had to I had to pick up on those things to be a good father, um, you know, and uh, you learn, you know, when you're doing that with a partner and you're doing it young, right, um, it's very hard. And I worked 14, like 12, 14 hour days and you, you, I try to come home, try to get home, get out, see her before I left, see her when I got home, but it's difficult to build that connection and honestly, Doing investment banking is a huge sacrifice if you have a family, man. Um, you know, it really is. But I, I really tried not to sacrifice that to the best of my abilities. And, um, you know, I, I made sure I had time to do that, to, to be a good father, um, being aware, being there, um, being present, uh, and making sure that just like I prioritize you know, the numbers being right in the model that you prioritize your family because that's that's really the most important thing. And, and those are the people that matter most, uh, not the MD that's yelling at you because you can't, <laughs> you're not fast enough. Um, and so I think ultimately being a father in America is difficult, especially for a minority, I think, because you have to prepare, you know, your children for a lot, a, a different experience. It's not an experience that, you know, is always a good one. So um, just being aware of that and preparing them young in, in some regard, um, I think is, a, you know, one of the responsibilities you bear, uh, in addition to whatever else you got going on. Well, you've provided an immense amount of perspective, of, of insight, of knowledge, of guidance on today's pod, and we appreciate you for that, Kalu. Um, but we are at the final question. Final question for today, but not final question forever. And here at Dream Shakers, we're all about paying it forward, right? So, you know, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to your younger self? And maybe it's to some of those bankers that are that are still there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say, um, for one. I would say, I would say loosen up. That's probably number one. Just, um, you know, sometimes there's actually power to letting go. You don't need to control everything, 
when you're when you're in banking they tell you, you got to manage all this stuff the first thing you do is you you grab tight on it you're like i gotta i gotta hold it i gotta you know i gotta manage all this stuff and you want to like put it in a a nice formal box but you know when you're when you're communicating with people and you're going out and you're you're trying to build connections and and live life like you can't live life like that right um you can't live life like a banker so it's important to to understand that hey look you can be super organized with banking but don't don't carry that outside of workplace uh, so loosen up and, and and make sure you have perspective outside of what you do because we do it for 12 15 14 hours a day it's hard not to get caught up in it but really try not to let that overwhelm you or carry forward in your in your other life number two would be um i would say to my younger self i would say uh be nicer to yourself <laughs> you know as bankers you're very critical it's like what did i do wrong that's the first that's the most important question am i doing something wrong like that's the question that i think a lot of people are looking for they don't care if you say hey you did great on this it's like okay but what what did i mess up and i think you got to be you got to be uh, more loving to yourself and, and and really recognize that like whether your MD's mad at you about a model, it's gonna be fine. Like <laughs> it happens. And putting stuff into perspective, um, and knowing that, look, being responsible for what you are can be responsible for, which is hey, I'm putting my best foot forward, I'm learning every day, I'm passionate about what I do. Who cares what the heck happens <laughs> outside of that? Right. So that and then I think the third thing really, it kind of is in line with the the, the the first point, but I mean um i say i say um definitely uh definitely look out for your for your yourself <laughs> because banking is not a very like hey man you know i, I really i really care about you bro <laughs> like, i i bet you do i bet you i bet you can't hear that being said anywhere maybe maybe you can but i never heard it so you gotta you gotta really protect your energy and protect your 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 interests um, because you know bank is not the most caring place in the world. So that's what I would say. Well, so much insight, so much free game, so much gems and jewels you provided on this podcast. We we truly appreciate you. We thank you for your time. We don't take it for granted and. We definitely plan to follow you on your journey, on your career, and invite you back on the show for, for many more times for us to converse and, and keep us updated. Also, keep the audience updated on the success. So, appreciate you again on this episode, and, and we look forward to hearing from you soon, brother. But it, it means a lot. Thank you again. I appreciate you guys, and thanks thanks for making this stuff happen, man. We need we need more of that. So I'm glad you guys are creating content, putting it out there. You're doing a great thing, man.